Hello beautiful people, it's the Millennial Vis Scholar. This is episode five, Struggling with Whiteness. So today I'm here with Phoenix, my beautiful, beautiful friend. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of things, but um, from the title, <laughs> hopefully you've already guessed, it's going to be surrounding struggling with whiteness not necessarily our own individual struggle i think we'll probably talk about some of our individual struggles but we're really talking about white people struggling with their own whiteness but yeah we'll get into that we're also going to talk about historical black colleges and universities here in america as phoenix attended Spelman College, which I was fortunate enough to go and see today, and I also got to go and see Morehouse um, here in Georgia, Atlanta, which is where I am. So yeah, let's get into it. So yes, as I've given you a hint, I am currently in Georgia, Atlanta. Um, my friend Phoenix, who's also a PhD student in the UK, um, is actually from Georgia, Atlanta. Well, she's from the Caribbean, um, but she has lived in Georgia, Atlanta for a couple of years. I'll allow her to introduce herself. Um, but I came over here to visit her following my stay in Missouri. Um, I just thought I'd come and say hi, and I'm glad that I did, because it's been such a great trip. Um, we've done a lot. She's taken me around, and we've done loads. Um, and it's been a great experience. From the point of view that I've got to see quite a lot of places that I learned about um, during my undergraduate doing American studies, such as, you know, the birthplace of Martin Luther King, um, where he was brought up, um, where he, there's the the King Cultural Centre, the legacy to um, Martin Luther King and Coretta King um, with their tube stone. It was actually really interesting to just sort of, see that part of Atlanta because although I'd read about it and you know talked about it and some of the civil rights movement that took place here it was interesting to actually be in that place and I guess I was a bit I'm not usually a tourist but today I felt like an actual tourist I was asking Venus to take pictures of me everywhere um because I actually just felt like it's weird to study these things which were so like prominent to black history especially black american history but black history you know globally black resistance black activism to be in one of the places that was sort of foundational to that um was actually quite touching for me so i couldn't help but take pictures everywhere but yes i'll let phoenix introduce herself just tell us a little bit about you anything you want to say <laughs> uh okay i'm gonna pretend not to be nervous so um warm greetings beautiful people um yeah so my name is phoenix i am a phd student at leeds beckett university in leeds west yorkshire <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um i i am studying well i am my study is about um women who love women um yeah just like second first and second generation caribbean british women and their experiences um in loving relationships um and just trying to find out about like culture and country and how that like clashes or coincides you know because the caribbean culture and historically um caribbean culture tends to be a bit homophobic 
So moving from, you know, that culture and moving to a country where certain freedoms are allowed, whether or not, um, you know, generationally, has it changed over time? Is there more acceptance? Do you feel that freedom to love freely with, with that kind of, you know, different, um, I guess, societal acceptance and things of that nature? So, you know, that's kind of what I'm doing. Um, what else? I am a cinephile. I love all things film. <laughs> she um, does. I do. <laughs> I... I like to, I guess, not only argue about it, but give different perspectives about it and things of that nature. And I love to discuss whiteness. <laughs> I, am, I am not white, but I am someone who has the front row ticket to whiteness <laughs> um, in so many different perspectives. And I think that for me, my understanding of the white gaze has has my learning of the white gaze has not only been through my own personal experiences globally, nationally kind of like you know verse but also through film and i think that it's something mm. that's very fascinating because i like to watch the development of the white gaze mm. through film mm. and and <laughs> white people's uh struggle <laughs> <laughs> oh yes which brings us to that lovely conversation yes. that we were having oh my God. um on the on my second day of being here um phoenix actually took me to brunch at miss icy's um, what's it called? Miss Isis Bar and Kitchen, Kitchen yeah. Bar. Yeah. Amazing. One of the best brunches I've ever had. Yes. Um, Caribbean influences. Yes. It was really, really tasty. And the music in there was amazing. It was we nice. Were, we were, it's a vibe. <laughs> Miss Isis, it's a vibe. It's definitely a vibe. It was great. <laughs> I was glad that I went. But one of the things that we were talking about is um, some of my experiences with whiteness. Because um, I, for me, it's been very complicated. Um, my relationship with whiteness and white people. Um, and I guess to give you a bit of background around that is, although I was, I was born in Nigeria and came to the UK at the age of six, um, and from being in the UK, I was constantly surrounded by whiteness. Um, I didn't know I was black until I arrived in the UK. Um, and not until I arrived, I think it was probably being in school and definitely being in high school that I understood I was black. And when I say I understood I was black, I guess I understood my blackness in relation to how people treated me and how people interacted with me. And when I say people, I'm talking about white people. Um, and I guess growing up and sort of being in an interracial relationship and being around a lot of my partner's friends who are white and family who are white, um, but also going to a university that was largely white, going to a high school that was largely white, went to a Catholic high school, so there wasn't many um, students of colour or even pupils of colour at the school. One thing that I've understood about being around white people is they hate to be called racist. <laughs> they hate being called racist. No matter how racist they are, no matter how racist their views are, no matter how much they support and love and uphold white supremacist structures, they hate being identified as racist. So when we're having this conversation, I was talking about one of an experience I had with um someone close to me who I it made me realise not realised, I didn't realise, there was never a realisation moment for me. I've always had this understanding that uh, most white people, if not all, are racist. Um, 
And I had this experience with them where I was just like, oh, okay, there you go, showing yourself, as you all eventually do. Yes. Um, <laughs> and no matter how much you hide it. No, no matter how much you hide it. I mean, and it's not a personal thing. I think when we talk about white people being racist, I'm talking about operating within a racist structure, operating within a white supremacist structure, a structure that has told them that they are at the top and therefore they operate and this, with this level of understanding, with this level of entitlement. And to give an example of this, in the case of living in the UK, and I've, I think I've heard some Americans say this, a lot of people in the UK get annoyed when people speak their own languages. And there's this idea that if you're in the UK or in America, or if you're somewhere where the predominant language is English, you should speak English. And this is such a colonial thought and mentality to me to have because when the British and you know whichever white European went to conquer places did they make an effort to learn the language when they went to Nigeria India the whole of Africa to be fair to conquer did they make an effort to learn the various African languages no they didn't but there is this entitlement that if people are in the UK or in you know somewhere where whiteness is at its you know, highest peak, yeah. that they should speak English and we should operate using English. And that, for me, again, is a white supremacist ideal, a white supremacist structure, a racist ideal. No matter how people want to defend their rights to want to understand people, you know, speak in English, the fact that they can't reflect on the fact that this language was a colonial tool used to control people, used to disempower people of their culture and their heritage, for me, is operating in this racist, under this racist structure. So, because I've had this relationship with white people for a very long time, I've sort of understood that they hate being called racist because for them that becomes something personal. Yeah. From them, they take it away from this idea that they're, um, that they're part of an institution that has uphold their position, you know, in the socioeconomic hierarchy. Um, so they're like, no, I'm not racist, and they want to defend themselves. So I just thought to myself, every single time someone defends themselves of this, I'm not racist, I'm like, oh, there they go, struggling with their whiteness. And I remember when she said it, I was like, oh, yes, there it is. It sounded so beautiful. I was like, man, I wonder how we can just we insert here, take away racist, and put in struggling with your whiteness. Because, I mean, that's what it is. It's a struggle. It's a struggle to comprehend what your whiteness means, how mm -hmm. your whiteness looks, how it sounds, how it comes off. And and no matter how you like, matter of fact, the other day, and again, whatever I say, it's probably going to be referencing a film, right? <laughs> so um, <laughs> it hit me. I don't know why I was thinking about this movie. I was thinking about the movie Crash. Mm. And there was this, there was this particular part in the movie, Matt Dillon was talking to Loretta Devine, I believe. And he said to her, because it, it, it was this, the character where his dad was sick, and he went to this lady because he wanted her to get either her dad, his dad more pills, mm. or he was like, or something was going on, but he needed to talk to her. And he said, he said, I'm sorry, but I can't help but think about the four or five more qualified white men <laughs> that could have had their job. And she said to him, you know, she, I mean, it was a back and forth. So she said, you know what? Um, if your dad had come in, I probably would have helped him. Because he gave this spiel about how his dad worked in the office or worked in the building. And then all of a sudden, you know, due to um, 
what is that word? Oh my gosh, let me think was about it. Affirmative. Yes, yeah, affirmative action. Yeah. He lost his job and blah blah mm. blah. And she was like, "Your dad sounds like a white, a, a great guy, you know? Mm. Like he because he was talking about how his dad like hired minorities, and then all of a sudden the minorities took over. And she was like, "Well, your dad sounds like a great guy, and if he came in today, I probably would help him, but he didn't. It was you, you. Came, you came in today. But you're racist, you, struggling with whiteness, you ass. struggling <laughs> whiteness ass person. And and it's so interesting because you watch his character grow. You know, from the moment that he, uh, from the moment that he was with, um, oh, what is her? see her face so clearly but i can't think of her name but the character where he stopped at the yeah yeah he yeah. stopped the couple mm -hmm. and the way that he held he dealt with the wife to the moment where god what is her name is it tiny newton yes tiny yes. newton and then when he when she was stuck in the car during the car crash mm -hmm. you know and she didn't want him to touch her yep. she was prepared to, to die, die. Exactly. like like like, no, you have to think about that moment. I think about that moment so much mm -hmm. that you are so afraid. You are so uncomfortable, not only with a man and his whiteness, but the man in whiteness, you know, covered in blue because he's yeah. a cop. You are ready to die, die. Yeah. <laughs> instead of letting this man save your life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's some real stuff. So yeah. it's just like, it's a struggle, right? It's a struggle with understanding that your identity no matter, no matter if you put, pretend that you're gonna downplay it, like sheepishly downplay it, pretend that oh, I don't use it, you know, mm. it's there, mm -hmm. and it's a struggle mm -hmm. because some people want to pretend oh, I I don't see color. Boo boo, that's a struggle. Uh, you see a stop sign, baby. <laughs> You see you, a stop sign, you, you, but you can't see black. You can't see black, but you can see red. Okay, yeah. like you, like oh, me and me and my coworker are equal. Oh, okay. Yeah. No problem. And again, I think it comes down to this fact that this struggle with whiteness is not wanting to see the institutional structures yeah. that uphold white supremacist ideals. It's wanting to see racism as a very personal thing. Or. I'm not racist because I don't use the N-word. Yeah. I'm not racist because I hire people of color. Uh, I'm not racist Just, because I yeah. hang out. Like, Kanye is my friend. Kanye is my best friend. Oh, I've got a black sister, nephew, auntie, and I. my neighbor is black. There's all these reasons why people want to justify why they don't, they're not upholding yeah. or they're not part of a racism and racist structure. And to be fair, when you mentioned that film Crash and you were just talking about that thing there, it makes me bring it back to... Yes, they're struggling with whiteness, which is the idea that when I was talking about it, the idea that white people are struggling with their own whiteness yeah. so can't see their racism. But that, again, when you spoke about Crash, there's this idea that we, because of them struggling with their whiteness, mm -hmm. we have, have to, to struggle, struggle with, with their, their whiteness. whiteness. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because they've not come to terms with the fact that society and systems work to favour them. Mm -hmm. We then have to be uncomfortable sidestepping them and, you know willing to die just yes. to avoid it yes. i i know from my own personal sort of i want to say personal experiences because there has been stuff i've experienced but also my own personal opinion is there's so many situations where i've been like i would rather just not call the police and the police is not they don't have to be white they can be a person of color but again when i talk about institutions the police force is one of those things i see as a system mm -hmm. that upholds whiteness same with the academy 
<laughs> academy, academy. Yeah. academy, academy, yeah, I like that academy, word. yeah, the academy, especially being in it, and I think that's something that me will reflect on, yeah. but um is another institution that uphold whiteness, but I would not call the police simply because I just think to myself, regardless of who comes, whether they're brown, black, yellow, purple, whatever face, I'm still scared that, you know, that institution, that white supremacist values institution has been ingrained so deep mm -hmm. that how can I trust that police officer to actually help me? Okay, <laughs> so another film, right? So I just saw a film like three, three weeks ago called Black and Blue. Mm. I didn't want to watch it, but I was forced. Um, and it turned out to be a very great film. Why? The opening credits. So, um, sh there's a young black woman, hoodie, running in, run just, you know, doing a jog in, um, in New Orleans. This is, or Nolens. This is where the film is being, so this is where the, I guess the story is taking place. You know, she's jogging, blue tracksuit, just jogging, right? Next thing you know, cop pulls her over, two cops get out, like, slam her up, like, do you have ID on you, da da da, roughing her. Where's your ID? And she's like, it's in my pocket. He takes out and he real he flips it open. He's like, oh, she's blue, she's blue, and they back up off her, and she's like shrugging off, you know, she's like adjusting herself, taking, you know, snatching it back. He's like, you know, you fit the profile of, and she's like, yeah, yeah, you know how it is, no problem. You, and then the guy gets about to get in his car. And he said, um, you must be new, and it was just interesting because. She was saved <laughs> from whatever that situation could have been. Because she was part of the institution. Because she was already part of the institution. institution. Yeah. Like, had she not been in it, she would have just been another black woman that fits some... A description. A description. Yeah. And it's just crazy it, that, like... <sighs> and, I mean, it put it towards, you know, my, what I'm doing in my research, this idea of that criminalization of black people is a social fact. Yeah. It's an observable social fact. It's been observed time and time again. And, you know, it's... Now, the reason that we're dealing with this criminalization of black people and the reason it still hasn't gone away... And, you know, I've had conversations with white people who were like, oh, it's not that bad. You know, it's not that bad. Oh, the reason they got arrested is because they did something wrong. And it's kind of like, the you know, these same sort of ideas that they're using to justify it shows that they're still struggling to accept that. Yeah. Criminalization of black people is a social fact with observable <laughs> examples yeah. and consequences. Yeah. And so, yeah, that takes on perfectly into our next segment. Oh, what are we going to talk about now? So, we're going to talk about historical black colleges and universities, Ooh. which Phoenix here had the lovely experience of attending one. Of graduating from the illustrious... Spelman College. Well, please tell us more. <laughs> I am not, you know, so I told Sharon before she decided to do this that I'm not the person <laughs> to talk about Spelman. Ooh. And who else would be better to talk about Spelman than the person that attended Spelman? I mean, we, we had to have this debate before <laughs> we got here. Um, okay, so it was not my top choice. It was my mother's, first of all. Okay. So I will tell you, this is how fantastic and or sad it was. The day that we're moving in, mind you, moving in, this is your, like, first day on campus. People are there. Like, mm. cars parked. There's there's people helping you move in. Like, stomp the yard. Like, stomp the yard. <laughs> this has been the reference all day. Stomp the yard. 
Um, <laughs> it's so bad. Okay, so this is this is this move in scene. So yes, like stomp the yard. Everyone's there, and I'm the saddest person. Aww. I want to talk to no one. Leave me alone. I actually didn't stay for the first day festivities because I was like, I'm not gonna be here. Um, because I. So when I finished high school, my his, my high school was predominantly black. Luckily for me, I've gone through a spectrum of schools. Um, middle school, uh, beginning of high school was a white school, predominantly white school. I've been to like Catholic schools, private schools, public schools. So my school that I graduated from was predominantly black. And I felt like I wanted to go to the whitest place in, the, in America, which is like North. Like, I wanted to go to Connecticut. <laughs> I got into school in Connecticut. I was ready to go to Connecticut, but my parents fought tooth and nail for me to go to Spelman. And so I got in there ready to be a political science major, and I felt absolutely disconnected. I felt disconnected from the all-white ceremony. I felt disconnected from the pairing of getting a Morehouse brother. I felt disconnected from the songs that were being sang because I didn't understand that culture. I didn't understand black American culture. I may have lived through some of it, but not in the way. So I think that Spellman and Morehouse tends to depict what the Cosby mm. <laughs> show and like a different world really gave you. Is this a, even though people from different walks of life were in the show, I was more like, if you guys have ever watched A Different World, so Jada Pinkett Smith was in one of the last few couple seasons, and she was, she came from the hood, right? Her character was named Lena, and she grew, like, I would think that I was Lena without the enthusiasm to be at the school, <laughs> minus the enthusiasm, so I came from the hood, and so I was, I came from the hood, but my parents was, we had an, we were afforded the opportunity to travel. I just felt like this black American culture in this context, I could not connect with. Mm, you know right, what I mean? Yeah. There was, there was very, it was very much, um, it felt very like Yale, Harvard, like societal things. Right. Like if you've ever seen the movie Stomping at the Savoy, no, that's not even a good one. Um, I'm trying to think of other films that probably give a good depiction, but just like, Films that kind of talk about this high black high society right. and how they have certain kind of routines and rituals and these things that are very mm. deep rooted because we needed a, a space. Understand, I, I completely understand the history and the need of a HBCU. I just wasn't connected to it. So I was sad. <laughs> I was home every weekend and didn't understand any of it. Um, and I took African diaspora in the world and I sat, and it, it's a, it's a, it's a course that uh, at the time I don't, I don't know if it's still, um, if it's still mandatory. I'm thinking it still is, but it's a mandatory course that all the freshman girls have to take, and it, it's to discuss the African diaspora, to open up the conversations. So you know, France Fanon, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you need to you need to open up your so I mean I understand you might know Martin Luther King and like Malcolm X and you know Coretta's like Rosa Parks and I'm like, okay, <laughs> cool. Those people <laughs> exist. Now let's let's open up the world a little bit. Let's mm. know about the, the the blacks and the browns of the world and the philosophers and the mm. you know, let's talk about what what else happened during the transatlantic slave? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people think the trajectory went straight to America. 
where there's a lot of places that these uh, boats hit and mm. their blackness that exists. But we don't talk about that, a lot of that in America. So we had a lot of conversation, but people seemed very uneducated. I felt un I felt very uneasy with that. Um, so I... I went through a period of trying to figure out how to leave Spelman. <laughs> mm. And it wasn't until I went into Intro to Women's Studies where I finally found myself comfortable in a space having a conversation about the black female experience. Mm. Where I was like, oh. ah. Because I, oh, oh for, as for context for everyone... So Spellman is a all female. <laughs> I learned this story. today. Yes, she did. She was in shock. <laughs> I was she, like, what? what? Only girls in class? Only girls. <laughs> so it's an all female historically black college and university. Next door to us is Morehouse, which is an all male. Um, and so we, but I felt like there was a certain point of view. <laughs> We, we were baking, it was very patriarchal. Mm. So I was finally in this intro to women's studies and we were discussing the patriarchy and we were just like deconstructing it in a way that I hadn't in classes before. In, before. Yeah. So I was like perking up, I was like, ooh, this is nice. And slowly but surely my, my women's studies class started to dominate my, um, my courses. Mm. <laughs> and I was flunking out of like political science and I needed women's studies and I started to do more with poetry. I started to join different organizations and, and do uh, conferences and things of that nature. So that in like a short amount of time, somewhere between not caring and caring. Now, it, I cared so much that I told people that I didn't graduate from Spelman. I graduated from the women's studies department right. at Spelman. Now I'll tell people I went to Spelman. Now I'll say I graduated from Spelman. But I was very like concentrated on saying the women's studies department because I felt like that department saved me. Beverly Guy Sheffdahl and Dr. Koomba saved me because I found myself. I found my voice. I found an understanding of um, black women's experiences. Mm -hmm. Thus... That is what has I've been doing for the rest all of my papers since mm. all of classes that shaped you shaped me yeah. like every since every single time we had to write an essay it had to be from the black female perspective because our voices need to be heard so yeah that's that's me no, it's, I mean it's really interesting to hear like because even when we were walking through today Phoenix has been an amazing tour guide by the way um, and when we're walking through I could see that sort of struggle that you have having because we'll go past a certain thing and you'd be like oh yeah this was amazing amazing but then you'd also be critical mm -hmm. about that amazing yeah. thing you yeah. know and I think one of the things that we were um, critical about which I found really interesting was um, you were showing me the um, the ladies who wear pearl and the white ladies mm -hmm. ladies in white is that yeah, what it is? yeah and the, how they wear pearls because they have to present themselves mm -hmm. a certain way because of society already like we know that society in their struggle with whiteness mm -hmm. do not see us as equals do not see us as being able to sort of um adopt what are inherently seen as white um, beauty standards yeah, yeah beauty standards or even standards of sort of like being able to be impressionable yes. and being able to impress you know this idea that when you go to work you've got to be in a suit there's this idea that black people are not able to 
wear suits and if we're wearing one is because of some affirmative action program somewhere that's allowed us to <laughs> exactly mm. you know so it was interesting to see that you know these lit the ladies in white and the sort of the idea of what they were taught but when you're telling me that i was like I understand the importance of that, but hearing that also makes me question the performativity that yes. took place in these spaces, yep. like teaching us to perform whiteness, yes. which, have, you know, later on in life has led to our own struggles yep. with, with whiteness. whiteness. We, we keep struggling with whiteness. It's <laughs> so do. fantastic. So, and I mean, performance. And I think that that's an interesting point of view because I didn't know if I knew how to perform. I, okay. I performed way too well. Mm. I think we all have. <laughs> we we point. we all have yeah. performed way too. If well. you're a black person, you know what you, that means. Well, sometimes telephone voice. Yes. Oh my god! <laughs> sorry to bother you. Great movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. Sorry, sorry to bother you. Was a great movie. movie a yeah. little weird towards the end. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It got weird, but yeah. I loved it. Um, but one of those things, it was just like, uh, what do we call it? Um, code switching. Mm. So mm. I've learned to code switch. I started to learn how to do that through like my white the white school that private school that I went to Mm. and understanding that people were very curious about my black experience but that my black experience was not everyone else's Mm. I had been to South Africa you know post-apartheid most people have never left their state Mm. you know a lot of people that I've met has never left the country you know has never left their city they just like and then I thought that maybe, okay, I was in college years, right? I go to work um, in seemingly distant, distant, different cities. So uh, I would not even Leeds, Bradford. I would say Leeds, Manchester, right? right. And um, yeah, because it's about an hour commute. Yeah. So yeah, Manchester. So imagine meeting someone who says, I never go south. Like, I'd never go ever. So there's like a highway that that connects between this imaginary version or this American version of a Manchester and the Leeds, right? And um, some people say, I never t- go further than a certain exit on that highway. Oh, okay. Yeah, unless I have to go to the airport to travel. Like, oh, wow. I never go to the city. I've met my manager. I have a manager right now, and she says she never goes to the city of Atlanta. And I said, well... But she would tell me how much she misses tamales. She's from another state. She misses being at Walmart. And there are these Mexican people that would just sell tamales. And she misses those tamales. No, no. <laughs> Struggling <laughs> with whiteness. Like, it's a struggle. Like, I sat there listening to her and I was just like, it's a no one else is hearing this. But they're like, no, she's homeless. I'm like, she just said... She misses tamales. But not the Mexicans who made it. Not the Mexicans who made it. (laughs) It was just like, there was this lady and she would make tamales. And oh my God, she would just be there. Even though she can get tamales here, but she doesn't Oh, no, no, no. It's not the same. Well, it's not the same tamales. You know, the Mexicans aren't the same here. (laughs) Wow. But it's it's a struggle, right? You know, and it's a struggle because the majority of the people that she works with are black. And so I, I wonder how she feels and how she adapts her whiteness. Or if she does, she probably doesn't. She doesn't. We, we adapt our blackness for her. Yeah. I'm struggling with my whiteness. <laughs> I'm having an identity crisis, crisis right now. now. Yeah. I'm upset. I know. I mean, it's just, it's just really interesting just just think that, like, 
in such a space. Atlanta is very unique. I think I came here and I found that it was the black Mecca. I mean, I knew that there was a lot of black people here, but to find out the percentage of black people in Atlanta city um, was that the black population was higher than the white. I was like, that's really interesting for Mm -hmm. me because Atlanta is also one of the biggest business hubs in America, I think outside of New York. Um, So it's amazing to me to feel like all the industry and everything's here. It's also a black Mecca but they're still in the surrounding yeah. neighborhoods and the surrounding suburbs, a lot of white, white people. people. That is why we didn't get a black governor. So we had the opportunity to almost get a black female governor. It was crazy. There are people, there's conspiracy theories about that, but right. it was a very close, I mean, close race. Right. So they were talking about voting susp- uh, voter suppression and things of that nature. They had to do a recount. It was intense like um yeah it was a big deal here in georgia in in, like the state of georgia Georgia, because if she had won she would have been the first black female (laughs) governor and to 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 imagine that kind of situation because that meant she would she would represent Mm. georgia not atlanta because we have a mayor of atlanta who's a black woman right yeah you know what i mean because she she she's a face of yeah which people just see as black anyway yeah so it's fine it's to have fine a black it's, oh it's, it's okay <laughs> yeah. but if we had a black woman as the governor of the state what? yeah it would have been crazy georgia wasn't ready though it wasn't because there's regardless of the amount of black people here the the whiteness struggle is still very real yeah and you know and i think that's one of the, the, the fascinating things about my you know being in america this time round because i've gotten to go to states outside of new york and yeah. california yeah so seeing how the midwest but also how the south deal with this idea of oh, there's a lot of black people here but the racism is still very prevalent oh, is yeah. it's crazy to me is it's it's something i I don't want to say I can't fathom because I'm not surprised. I don't want to act like I'm, you know, a white woman fine about, about racism today. I'm not surprised it exists, but I guess it's this idea that to see it mm-hmm. and to be here in it yeah. and then walk down the road and see where Martin Luther King Jr. was from and people still have that sort of identity crisis yeah. in somewhere that was so pivotal to black history. Yeah. I mean, it makes you question, like, when will we stop struggling with our whiteness, not our whiteness, with their whiteness, but when will they stop struggling with their whiteness? What does it take for people to recognize the institutional, the systematic, the several layers of white supremacist racism that exist in our society? I don't think that will happen anytime soon. Um, I think that it's something that, um, I think that it is something that won't happen anytime soon. I think that it is something that is uh, that needs to be worked on, right? Yeah. I think it's a struggle, right? Mm-hmm. We're all on the struggle bus, <laughs> which is so okay. crazy. That means that everybody is struggling with it. So, mm-hmm. so because we all struggle with something, that means that it is some. It is. It is. It is an everyday battle. Mm-hmm. If you are struggling with alcoholism, you don't ever just get over it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> you yeah. will struggle with it for the rest of your life. Yeah. But every day, it's better. There is 12 steps for mm. a recovering alcoholic or an addict. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's like 500 for a recovering Con- racist. Just- <laughs> <laughs> no, there's lots of steps. 500 there's- years of stepping. Yes. <laughs> oh, Oh God. No. no. Oh God. So, but you have to think about this. Mm. I'm, I don't 
for me to 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 accept i think that accepting this phrase of struggling with whiteness means that no one will ever actually heal from it no one will ever actually be cured Mm. of it or fully accept it you will struggle with it but Mm. every day you're struggling a little less definitely yeah i quite like that i like that analogy but yes so thank you so much for that discussion phoenix that was very very um, reflective and it's yes. I think it sort of summarized my time also being here there's been a lot of reflection um personal as well as you know in terms of our struggles with whiteness yes. um and hopefully me and Phoenix can put our heads together and actually write a paper that looks at this from a very academic point of view because that's what we are baby scholars out here baby scholars out <laughs> yeah. So, yeah so look forward to that watch out for that paper mm-hmm. and i look forward to having phoenix on future podcasts because i love the fact that you're a film buff because well, i love films so hopefully when i do more of my film reviews we can butt heads together yes. and discuss that yes but thank you for joining thank us thank you for inviting me and you've been listening to the millennial Viz scholar tukupa moja love peace and turkey greece